I said earlier, uh, my name is Rob Heron, and I'm the youth pastor here at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Our senior pastor, Hal Farnsworth, is out of town this week, and we are beginning a series on the means of grace. Pastor Hal's been preaching on God's redemption of his people leads to holiness, that he calls his people out of darkness and he calls them to new life, a particular kind of life. It's a godly life. And the means of grace are channels through which, by God's power and grace, we grow and become more godly. That God doesn't just give us grace for salvation, but He does more than that. That He gives us grace for our entire lives. He gives us grace to grow in the means of grace. We will talk about what those are, but let me let you know from the outset, from the onset, that I am not aiming in this sermon to get you, this is not my primary aim, to get you reading the Bible more diligently, praying more regularly, coming to church more often. Though those are wonderful things, that's not my primary aim. I don't want you to leave here by any means feeling guilty in a way that is shaming to you. I hope that we all see instead the wonder and the beauty of God's means to us. And if we feel guilt, I pray that it will lead us to a greater attraction towards God's means that He's put before us to give us grace and make us grow. If you would, read with me God's Word. We're going to be looking at Acts 2.42 and 1 Timothy 4.6-10. You read with me. Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And 1 Timothy 4, 6-10, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is, is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. This is God's word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are truth, and you have revealed your truth through Jesus Christ and through your word, and that your spirit takes that word and it brings it into our life and it breaks us, reshapes us, and makes us new. It leads us into godliness and holiness, into freedom. And I pray this morning that the preaching of the word would do that, that it would lead us and point us to Jesus Christ, the giver of new life. We pray this in your name. Amen. When I was a little kid, we had in our pantry, this is another room for a food closet, so we had in our pantry on the side of the door was this sort of chart, and the chart had these sharpie marks up the wall, and what those were was a measurement of how tall I and my sister were. Many of you probably have something like this, something to measure how tall your children are getting as they grow up. And when they're young, they're sprouting and growing, it seems like, every minute. And so when I was very young, maybe five or six years old, I loved the chart. So every couple months, maybe every six months, 
My mom would have me run over to the pantry door and she would open it up and I would stand there and I would be as straight and tall as I could, just, you know, be as possibly, if I could stretch my entire body as, as high as it would go, I would do that. And she would put the bark right above my head and, you know, four foot two. And, you know, I was so excited every year, every couple months to see how big the growth was. It'd be, you know, every six months it was half an inch, maybe even a whole inch. I think that's possible. It was something like that. It was fast growth. And I loved it. When I got to be about 15 and 16, I would go up to the chart and my mom would measure me. It would be a very small bit of growth from what it was before. Six months later, not much at all, even smaller. And smaller and smaller as time went on until it seemed like growth was slow, imperceptible, and it seemed like I had stopped growing. And I had had these great aspirations of being 6'2", 6'3", being a great huge football player. And when I realized that the growth was slowing, it seemed like it was ending, I gave up the chart altogether and I haven't thought about it since. Until now, I haven't used it again. I'm not entirely sure how tall I am. I've heard average. (laughs) So, whatever that means. Growth in the Christian life is like that. Maybe when you were young, when you If you become a Christian, you were a new Christian, maybe you experienced a lot of rapid growth or it felt like big things were happening. And now you see that growth in the Christian life is often slow, seemingly imperceptible. And you start to wonder, is anything happening? Am I growing and changing at all? Is that even possible? For many of you, you may have this desire to change. You want to grow as a Christian but you feel stuck. Some of you may feel like, because of disappointments in your life, vows you made that I'm going to get, I'm going to grow, and I'm just going to, I'm going to get more dedicated, and it falls flat. You become cynical about yourself and the possibility of growth. But whoever you are, we all desire change in some sense, but not necessarily according to God's plan and by His power. Many of us want to be better in our careers. We want to be more attractive. We want to get in better shape. We want to be a better speaker, whatever it is. Maybe we want to grow in the Christian life, but we want to do it on our own. We want to use our gifts, our efforts, and we want that to be the thing that really makes us grow. But God, actually, is the one that gives growth. And God gives grace to grow And according to his plan, he gives means to grow. And this is what I want to see this morning, is that because God gives our growth in grace, we must train in the means of grace. Because God gives our growth in grace, we must must train in the means of grace. And I want to encourage you to this point. I want to encourage you to see that we must train in the means of grace and pursue godliness and growth through the grace that God gives by answering three questions. One, what are the means of grace? Two, why do we need them? And three, what is their goal? What are they? Why do we need them? And what is their goal? So first, what are the means of grace? And you can look there on your bulletin. We have the scripture printed there for you. And there are two things there. One from Acts 2, one verse from Acts 2, and then a passage from 1 Timothy 4. In Acts 2, this is recording 
the practices of the early church, what they did in their pursuit of growth and grace, what they did in the pursuit of godliness. And in 1 Timothy 4, Paul is writing to Timothy, who has been stationed in Ephesus, combating false teaching. And Paul is urging him, train in godliness, pursue godliness. And these two passages here from Scripture, they say something crucial about the means of grace. And first they tell us what they are not. The first thing that they are not is silly myths. You can look at 1 Timothy 4, 7. And Paul there is saying, pursuing godliness, verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. The reverent, reverent there means profane, wicked. And silly which means what it sounds like. It's ridiculous. And in Ephesus, what controlled people's lives more than anything was folk religion, fables, myths, stories that had no grounding in reality that told you things like you cannot be married, you cannot eat certain foods. And what Paul is saying is that God's means that he gives for you to grow have nothing to do with silly things like that. They're not man-made. God gives them. But the second thing they're not, they're not ways to earn God's favor. So look in 1 Timothy 4.6. So Paul is telling Timothy that if you, if you abide by the good doctrine that you've been taught, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you've followed, and that phrase there, being trained, it might also be translated being nourished. That what comes in our life as, as growth, how we grow actually comes from outside of ourselves the power that gives that growth. It's not something that we just conjure up. It's something we're nourished in. They're not silly, and it's not something that we do to earn God's favor. But what they are, literally what they are, you look in Acts 2.42. This is talking about the early church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I'll translate here. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching God's word. And the fellowship, so the fellowship of believers, the breaking of bread, which would have meant a fellowship meal, but also the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, and the prayers. Corporate prayer, or individual prayer as well, but especially coming together to pray. So the means of grace, God's word, prayer, sacraments, and fellowship. Or word, sacrament, prayer, and fellowship. And traditionally, we have said in our tradition that the means of grace are word, sacrament, and prayer. Because they directly communicate to us Christ and salvation. Through those things, we directly come to know the power of God in Christ. But it's very understood that fellowship is the context where all those things happen. Fellowship is a means of grace where God grows us in those things. And these are, let me go and give you a definition. If you are a note taker, you can write this down. But the means of grace are channels through which faith is regularly strengthened and through which we grow in grace. Channels through which our faith is strengthened, and through which we grow in grace. Or put another way, they're God's provision for your growth. You see there, with the list I gave you, they're common things. Word, prayer, sacrament, fellowship. Because the Bible, what I have up here, is is most certainly its book. They're pages. And when I preach to you, I'm preaching with my voice. And I'm a person that makes plenty of mistakes. But they're, they're common elements, but they're also an uncommon work that God is doing through them. The Bible is a book, but it contains God's word. And when I preach, 
Inasmuch as I'm preaching from God's word, there's great power. Common elements, uncommon work. Some of you have seen the movie Men in Black. It's a little bit old now. It's a movie with Will Smith. And in this movie, Will Smith is recruited by Tommy Lee Jones, who's part of the Men in Black, which is this organization that fights aliens, intergalactic powers. It's a true story. It's not. And so Men in Black, the story, Will Smith gets recruited by this alien-fighting organization. And finally, Tommy Lee Jones, who's his, Will Smith's mentor, he brings him into this room to give Will Smith his alien-fighting weapon. And this whole wall of these incredible lasers and cannons and things that he used to fight aliens. And Will Smith is looking at all those, getting excited. And suddenly, Tommy Lee Jones gives him the smallest gun possible. It's about this big. He calls it the noisy cricket. And you can see on Will Smith's face and what he says... It's basically, this is ridiculous. Do you even, do you, do you have a problem with me? Do you not like me? Why would you give me this? I know what I'm, I know what I'm up against. I know what you want from me, and you give me this. But only a couple of scenes later, the first time Will Smith uses it, the blast that comes out of this weapon is so large that it breaks a hole through a building and knocks him 20 feet back flat on the ground. This small thing, seemingly plain thing, Great, unbelievable power. And the means of grace are a lot like that, even more powerful. The means of grace, these are the only things that you, that you can use in your life to grow. These are the only channels of growth in your life, but they're necessary for growth in your life because they are God-given and powerful. They're not the only ways that you grow, but they're necessary. Many of you uh, may enjoy going hiking and you find some form of spirituality and going out and just enjoying God's creation. And some of you, I've heard before saying, I don't get that much out of church. I don't enjoy church. I feel like I get a lot more out of if on a Sunday morning I went out and just hiked in the woods, feel more connected to God. Well, I would say that hiking is wonderful and enjoying God's creation is wonderful. But you need the fellowship of believers because it's powerful that God works power through it. Then when in Acts 2 it talks about fellowship, the word is koinonia, which isn't just hanging out. It's spirit-filled communion. You may go for a hike, but you need the fellowship of believers regularly every week. It has a power that you will not get through hiking alone in the woods. Because God promises through the fellowship of believers to give that growth, give his favor to you. And without these means of grace... Those other channels of growth in your life will dry up. Without the fellowship, regular worship with believers, that hike in the woods will become less and less about God and more and more about you and your experience and your preferences. And it shows us that we, we want to grow, but we don't want to do it according to God's plan. But God says that if you do that, it will actually have a degenerative effect on you. That the means of grace, word, prayer, sacrament, fellowship, these keep everything else in focus for what they really are meant to do in our lives. You need them. And so that's my second point. Why do we need the means of grace? The first thing is without them, your trajectory is spiritual atrophy. Look at 1 Timothy 4, verse 8 and 7, 7 and 8. Paul says, Rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. 
What he's saying there, he's giving a comparison. He's saying, obviously, physical training, working out, staying in shape, being healthy, it's, it's valuable, sure. But godliness, training, pursuing growth is infinitely more valuable. And that's why he says, rather train, and that word train is where we get the word gymnastics. Exert yourself. Fight for growth. And the implication is that like training physically, if you, the more that you don't do anything, the more that you just experience atrophy. That if I wanted to be an Olympic gymnast, if my regimen were, if it was watching Netflix five hours a day, taking cat naps, and eating a lot of greasy food, I, don't think, I would be a terrible gymnast. And I would hate gymnastics. Uh, I would not enjoy it. We need to train, because your trajectory without these means of grace is just wearing down, being whittling, whittled down. But through the means of grace, you grow into your spiritual trajectory. Look again in verse 8 where he says, Godliness holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. God's not interested in the temporary, in some form of spirituality that just lasts for the here and now. God is in the business of bringing his kingdom life into the present, for resurrection life to come into your existence, into your life, and change you, making you what you will be. That is what God is interested in. And in verse 9 there, Paul says, this saying, referring back, is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. He's saying, receive this heartily, that godliness is of more value than any type of growth you could pursue right now, whether that's physically, in your job, whatever it is, that because it holds promise for the next life, for eternal life, you need this. You need it. And so you must exert yourself. If some of you are wine aficionados, maybe you know that a fine wine, only the finest wines, if you take them and you put them in a dark room, only the finest wines, that actually age and get better over time. That some wines, if you just leave them, and years pass. You don't have to do anything. They'll collect dust, but the wine will get a lot better. But that's not really the case for plants. Think about plants. Most of them, I assume, if you put them in a dark room and just leave them there, what will happen to the plant? It will wither. It will wilt, and it will die. It will experience atrophy. Because plants, they need sunlight. They need water. They need certain bugs to pollinate them, and they need to have other bugs repelled. There's certain parts of an environment, channels of growth that these plants need. We like to think that we're like a fine wine, but we're more like plants. We can't just leave ourselves in the dark and assume that we're just automatically going to grow, because growth is guaranteed, but not automatic. God promises to give growth by his favor, by his grace. He will grow you, but it's not just an automatic process where you can just sit back and relax, watch Netflix, and expect that over the years you will grow. As Hal says often, if you want to get hit by the grace train, get on the train tracks and let it run over you. And what he means by that is put yourself in the paths of God's grace Put yourself in the path of the means of grace. Exert yourself to be using the means of grace. But because growth is not automatic, 
doesn't mean that you should just start exerting effort in every direction. Because any effort that does not move you towards the means of grace and towards faith is in vain. All those efforts just lead to more spiritual atrophy. See, there's an efforts made in self-sufficiency. And the reason why so many of us struggle with prayer is because we're so constantly obsessed with controlling our lives and feeling like I'm in control, I have to take care of myself because no one else will when it comes to my kids or my job or my friends, my relationships. I'm the one that always has to be on the ball. I'm watching out for me and taking care of me. When the heart of prayer is dependent trust, we're training ourselves to not pray. We're training ourselves to not want to hear, to have God's ear and speak to him. But efforts also without faith are in vain. So when it comes to showing up here on Sunday morning, if we show up here and believe that just by the effort of showing up, that we can presume on God's grace and that's going to make us grow, it's in vain. It won't work. And what I don't mean by that is if you're here this morning and you're feeling weak, and you're feeling like it was a struggle to get here, I don't really want to be here, but I'm here because I know I need it. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is if you search your heart this morning and you can see that I assume that my church membership, my showing up, my effort is what actually makes me grow. So it gives me spiritual status. And then when you take the Lord's Supper, you assume that it's actually just because I'm here, I'm a good church member, and so this belongs to me because of that. It's a dangerous thing to do. And I would invite you to not do that. Search your heart. Any effort in self-sufficiency or without faith is in vain. But at the same time, because growth is guaranteed, your faithful efforts in the means of grace have eternal weight. By God's grace, the more that you put yourself on the grace train tracks, put yourself in the paths of grace, in God's word, in prayer, in fellowship, God promises that you will slowly but surely change. That when you read God's word in faith and you diligently pursue it, desiring to know what it says, it will change you by God's spirit. You'll become a more gentle person. Maybe you'll become a more confident person if you're lacking confidence that God's the one that's in control and you can hand your life over to him. And what you see is that you need to become what you will be. Gentleness, confidence in who God is, those are the things that characterize God's kingdom. You need to become what you will be, so pursue these things. And if we see that, what the question doesn't become as much, why do we need these, but why wouldn't we use them? Why wouldn't we make use of these things? When God is promises, promises that he is using them to make us into what we will be with him for eternity, more into the likeness of Christ. So that's the second thing. That's why we need them. But let's see, thirdly, what is their goal? First thing is that the, the goal is godliness, obviously. It says there that in verse 7, train yourself for godliness. And in the Greek culture where Paul is writing into, godliness meant external piety, or just some form of external religious devotion. But Paul here is talking about Christian godliness, not just about the externals. It's about inner change. That God is making you more and more internally 
into what he means for you to be forever. It's godliness. And, but as important as that is, there's actually something even more important. The goal is not just godliness, it's more so God himself. Look at verse 10. Paul says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And when Paul says all people there, he doesn't mean that each individual person will believe the gospel. And he clarifies that by saying, especially of those who believe. What that basically means, he's saying, what I mean is Christians. Of all people, namely Christians. His point here, when he says all people, it's all sorts of sinful and weak people. That God doesn't pour out his grace on the people that have, I know how to grow, I'm already getting it done, I don't really need God's power, his plan. God pours his power and his grace out on people that say, the only way for me to change is if God's favor shows up in my life. If God does it, that's the only way for me to change, and I know I need it. That's the type of people that God pours his grace out on. All sorts of weak, needy people. And what Paul's saying is, set your hope on the living God. The God that you, that you want to know, that you want to enjoy because he is your Savior. There's something better than the goal of just godliness. He's saying the goal is God himself. To be with him. To know him more. To have intimacy with him. That's why we pursue godliness. That's why we pursue the means of grace. When I was dating my wife, um, this was, I think, about six months in our relationship. This is before we got married. And we went out to celebrate, I think it was our six-month anniversary, like a very romantic person. I recommended we go to Max Canada and play air hockey and pool. And so we went to Max Canada, CD place. And so we started playing pool, and I was uh, beating my wife in pool and feeling very good about myself. I was enjoying the date immensely. Um, I like to play pool, and I like to win. And so I was beating her in that, and suddenly she said, why don't we play air hockey? And I thought, that'll be cute. That'll be great. It'll be fun. And so we start playing air hockey, and you know, I go in thinking, I'll, you know, I'll let her score a few, and you know, I'll make it easy on her so we still enjoy the date. But all of a sudden, the disc goes right past me into, into my goal, and she starts scoring. You know, and so stop laughing, start trying a little bit more, and then she just keeps scoring on me, 3-0, 4-0. And all of a sudden, I'm like the Cleveland Cavaliers going hard in the paint. And she's like the Warriors, just like tossing out points. Just like, she, this is so grace, graceful. And all of a sudden, it's not a date anymore for me. It's war. <laughs> and, and sweat starts pouring down my face. And I had been wearing a button-up and a sweater over it. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm down to my undershirt. And my shirt's soaked in sweat. And I'm just putting every bit of my masculinity, every bit of my livelihood into it. And she just defends scores. She just calmly defends scores. And she's having a great time. And then after I've lost about five games in a row, I go sit down completely ashamed and sullen. And she comes over and sits by me. And I, I won't talk to her. I won't, even, I won't even look at her until I realized I'm childish and repented. But what, what did I miss I'd miss what the whole point of us playing air hockey together was, just to know her and enjoy her. 
I'd gotten so focused on this means of knowing her, and more so on me, I'd miss what the whole point was. And in many, many ways, this is true for growth and grace, that when your, your growth in godliness is the ultimate goal, you're missing the point, and you will constantly be either insecure or prideful. If your focus is on me, how am I growing, how am I doing, then you will be either insecure or prideful. And you'll be insecure maybe comparing yourself to other Christians. And I just recommend to you and tell you how poisonous that is. Because there are seasons of growth in the Christian life. And often you will feel like, I'm growing more. And then sometimes you feel sad. You feel dry. And you look at other people that aren't experiencing that and you feel like, I'm such a disappointment. Something wrong with me. God must not be involved in my life. That's because you're focusing on your growth and godliness. Your focus is, is on you. Or maybe this morning you're insecure because every time you hear, read the Bible, you think, I'm just, I'm failing at that. And every time I think about it, I realize, I feel like I'm such a disappointment. I say this again, you're missing the point. But you might be prideful, developing what I would call a spiritual six-pack, spiritual abs, feeling like I can cultivate all of this theological knowledge, and I struggle with this, that the more theological knowledge, the more I know about the Christian faith, the more I feel safe. I feel good about myself. I feel like people will listen to me more. I'm more important. But when you do that, you're actually poisoning yourself and other people around you because you're focusing on you and your growth in godliness. What I want you to see is this, that while your growth is a wonderful byproduct, it would be wonderful if we grew in our knowledge and grew in our reading of the Bible more. I want that. But while your growth is a wonderful byproduct, the ultimate goal is glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. That while it is good for you to enjoy the means of grace, they are so much more about God's greatness and so much less about your preference or your experience with them. You come to worship this morning not primarily to fulfill some subjective experience, but because God is perfect and perfectly gracious, and He deserves our praise, deserves all glory. And you come into the fellowship of believers not primarily to fulfill relational needs that you have, but because God loves His people. And when you come in and care for His people, it glorifies Him. But more than that, and the other side of the coin is that God gives you the means of grace as a gift because he wants you to delight in him because he delights over you. They're a gift because he wants you to enjoy him, enjoy knowing him, enjoy worshiping him. And this comes from a, a book by David Mathis where he says he translates the means of grace into this. In the Bible, we could say, is hearing God's voice. God wants you to hear his promises poured over you, to hear that he loves you and cares about you and will always be with you. And he calls prayer having God's ear. No matter where you are, God hears you and he promises that he is near to you. Wherever you are, when you pray in faith, you have his ear. That's how close he makes himself to you. And that fellowship is belonging to his body, that he gives you that privilege that you can come into this place and know what it really means to love other people in community. 
to love self-sacrificially. Because he wants you to delight in that. To know the freedom that's in that. And the sacraments are receiving God's promises. That he does more than even give us his word. He gives us these signs that assure you that you belong to God when you receive them in faith. Assure you that God is with you. That's their goal. To enjoy God and to glorify him forever. There was a man uh, in Kansas City, and an author that I really liked, told this story about him, this man living in Kansas City, and he was a new Christian. And he suffered in this incredible uh, work explosion, this great explosion, and he suffered horrendous injuries that created burns all over his body so that he lost his sight, he lost use of his hands, and he was basically incapacitated. And he had longed to read the Bible. And he had heard that there were people that had learned to read Braille with their lips. And so he started trying that. And what he realized is that the nerve endings in his lips were so damaged that he couldn't even do that. And he was just forlorn and sorrowful. So finally, what he realized, the only, the only way that he could actually touch this Braille and feel it and be able to read the Bible was with his tongue, actually. It was the only thing that he could use that had enough sense in it to read it. And when the author had finished the book, he said that this man had read through the Bible, reading Braille with his tongue four times. Four times all the way through. Why did this man do that? I don't think it was to develop a spiritual six-pack to be impressive. I believe that he did that, and I'm sure that he did that because he knew that through God's word was revealed God's love in Jesus Christ. That through the means of grace, through Scripture, God reveals His great love for us in Jesus, who died for our sins and rose again to give us new life. That's what's revealed in Scripture. And so this man clung to that with everything in him the only way he could. What I would encourage you this morning is don't move towards the means of grace out of guilt, don't move towards them in self sufficiency. Move towards them and move towards Jesus. And together, by God's grace, we will grow. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are um, so gracious that you don't rescue us and, and leave us to figure things out, but you say, I will take care of you and I'll provide everything you need for growth in this life. God, I pray that we, by your spirit, by your power and your grace, we would make use of the means of grace. We would put ourselves in the path of your grace, and we pray that you would use it to grow us more into what we will be when we are with you in fullness. I pray this in your name. Amen.